I know exactly what you need in your life. More practice squad. So give us a follow on Instagram at practice underscore squad underscore podcast. Our posts are phenomenal. Our stories probably even better and our hairlines undefeated. Again, that's practice underscore squad underscore podcast. Check it out and give us a follow. Squad out. Hello and welcome back to the practice squad, everybody. We're going to start off today's episode with some breaking news. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have announced that they are planning to sign Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown will be available uh, for their Week 9 game against the Saints. This is another weapon to an already stacked team. What do you think, Easy? Does this make them too much for the NFC? I see them as one of the biggest threats in the NFC. I mean, they had that statement win last week. Yeah, when they took on the Packers, who everyone thought were going to blow them out of the water because the, they just lost to the Bears. Brady looked really old. He forgot what down it was. And the Packers came in, and they stomped all over them. They contained their explosive run game, and they were able to make Aaron Rodgers commit terrible turnovers. That led to 14 Buccaneers points, and then it just didn't stop from there. They just kept pouring it on. And now that they have Antonio Brown, that's going to help out when Chris Godwin is dealing with injuries. It's going to be no problem for the Buccaneers to compete with the top teams in the NFC. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I still see them as the favorite to win their division. I don't see them coming out uh, of the NFC as the NFC champion still. Um, I just don't see that team. I haven't seen that team mesh very well yet. Um, They did beat the Packers. I think that's more the Packers maybe being overrated, which I know that's a shocking revelation because – when has that ever happened with the NFL media uh, overrating Aaron Rodgers and the Packers? But we'll see. Uh, also, Antonio Brown, as of late, has not really been a thing that you want on your roster. So we'll see if that continues. Yeah, he's they, a tremendous talent, but he's a very, very contentious personality. Yeah, he's got a gigantic chip on his shoulder. So, I mean, he's got reason to have that chip on his shoulder, but that chip can only take you so far as justification for your actions uh he's come out and said that he's a changed person that he's learned from his mistakes and we'll, we'll call them mistakes there's various degrees of uh, bad things that he's done over the past couple years and not to mention the strange things like freezing his foot yeah that happened and i just really hope that he's turned things around as a person and that He's able to come in and contribute to the Buccaneers, and we'll see if they take the NFC. I think they're still going to have to deal with the, the Seahawks, who are also the class of the NFC, but we'll just have to see what happens. Well, uh, now that we've covered that, we're going to move on to what we actually intend to talk about today, which is uh, the return of the Big Ten and how the college football season continues to evolve. Uh, we now have another one of the Power Five conferences getting ready to start this week. Marquee games from it are Michigan-Minnesota, that's the college game day game this week, and Ohio State, uh, was or Ohio State-Nebraska. Um, Ohio State-Nebraska, that's obviously got a lot of hype because of Justin Fields and how good Ohio State is, but that's going to be a route. Nebraska doesn't stand a chance. Pretty confident in that. The interesting game is Minnesota-Michigan because you've got Tanner Morgan, who looks like a first-round prospect, uh, going up against the ever-hyped Michigan Wolverines coached by Jim Harbaugh. We'll see if Tanner Morgan and, and 
the crazy coach who rows the boat, just keep rowing the boat, can take on Captain Khaki. P.J. Fleck, I think I think Minnesota will get the win. I am really interested to see what Minnesota looks like this year. They were much better than I anticipated they would be a season ago. Uh, I wonder, I'm interested to see what this year looks like. Yeah, I hope that they can really come back. I really like P.J. Fleck as a coach. I mean, you've seen him turn around programs at all stages of his career, including at Western Michigan, which is how he landed the Minnesota job. And I am excited to see those Golden Gophers because, I mean, it'd be really nice if there was another team from the Big Ten that was suddenly very good. I mean, just imagine if Rutgers suddenly put it together and they were competitive. That's kind of what it's been like with this Minnesota resurgence. Not quite to that extreme because Rutgers is terrible. Rutgers is not even – there's not even an analogy to make to Rutgers other than Rutgers because they're that bad. They're so bad they are their own analogy. Um, But, yeah, Minnesota, it's been a really quick turnaround, really impressive for P.J. Fleck. And I think Tanner Morgan is – the most underrated quarterback in this draft class. So it'll be interesting to see him. Um, and it's just, as a college football landscape as a whole, it's kind of tough right now to really gauge how good each team is. Because if you're looking at the rankings, you've still got teams in there that are sitting at two wins or two games played. You've got teams who haven't played at all yet. Uh, some of the undefeated teams in the country. One of the undefeated teams in the country right now is Air Force. It's only played one game. It is one and zero. It's it's interesting. And of course, that's with you know the COVID nineteen situation. Everything keeps having to adapt and follow course with that. It's honestly kind of a surprise to me that we're getting this much football as we are. So I'm just gonna enjoy it while I can. But with that said, how do you feel about a a team like Ohio State that hasn't played yet being ranked number six in the country. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, they, I know they have preseason rankings, but that's before anyone's played. And Ohio State hasn't played yet, and they're ranked number six. Like, why they gotta, why they got to do that before they haven't even played a game, especially when you've had sample sizes from other teams that have been performing well against uh, top competition? Is it just because of their recruiting power? I mean, it's just, it's, it's based, it, you, well, that's part of it. It's based off of their roster and their coaching staff and what they did last year. So right now, if you look at the top 10, you have Clemson at number one, who's 5-0, and and then Alabama and Notre Dame at 4-0 and apiece, Georgia, 3-1, and Oklahoma State at number six is 3-0, and Texas A&M is 3-1, and and then Penn State is 3-0. and and then in between there, you've got Ohio State at number five. I said they were number six erroneously earlier. Uh, they're ranked at number five, zero and zero. And Penn State is ranked at number eight, zero and zero. So it's just, it's, it's. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how is Georgia three and one? Who did they play? Did they lose to Auburn or Alabama? Georgia is three and one with a loss to Alabama. That's another thing that doesn't make sense. It's like you lose to Alabama. And then you're still in the top five? It just seems totally arbitrary. I mean, they didn't lose well to Alabama. I wouldn't have them ranked that high. I College football rankings will forever be a mystery because it all comes down to personal bias. And we all know the SEC's got some favoritism. That ain't nothing new. But it's just... I think that if there's ever a year for us to not have rankings it would be 2020 
right now I really don't feel like we need a ranking system because a ranking system feels completely arbitrary. Because not only do we have the two teams that I mentioned, Ohio State and Penn State, ranked at number five and number eight, we've also got Oregon ranked at number 13. They, of course, not played a game yet. Wisconsin ranked at number 15. They have not played a game yet. They're actually playing right now as we record this. And, I mean, it's just... And USC ranked at number 24 without playing a game. Oh, and Minnesota, 21. And Michigan at 18. There's so many teams in the top 25 that haven't played yet. It's... I don't know. It just doesn't seem useful to me to have rankings this year. No. And, I mean, you can... I mean, the college football playoff committee, they can still pick teams. I mean, I guess they... And they don't even unveil their rankings until later in the year. So these rankings are all, again, have no implication on the playoff or the national championship. They're just kind of like an indicator of what's going to be. Well, and I can't, I haven't seen an exact date as to when the CFP polls will come out. Uh, if they do come out at the same time frame they did the last few seasons, it would be when the Pac-12 has played two games. No. So the Pac-12 sample size will be two games compared to the other conference. It just, there, you can't have rankings this year. I don't know how else. There's a lot of other ways to handle it. You can just go based off of team performance, team record, let the bowls decide how teams get invited. Because right now we're going back to the same way we had it basically in the early days of college football back in the 20s and 30s, where there was 50 different ranking systems and the national champion was decided by essentially a vote at the end of the year after four teams had claimed national championships. And I think that's what we're looking at this year. I mean, UCF still has their national championship that they claimed, right? Yeah, UCF still got that banner up. And, you know, I kind of get it with UCF. I mean, Utah was awarded a share of a national championship uh, 10 years after the fact. We were awarded a share of the 2008 National Championship, um, which did nothing to change our opinion of that season. But it's one of those things like, how do you get a quarter of a title? You don't. UCF needs to let it go. They didn't win a national championship. You guys, deep down in your heart of hearts, you know what would have happened if you had been in the college football playoff. That you would not have beaten Alabama. You would not have beaten Clemson. You would not have beaten Oklahoma. You would have gotten stomped. It would have happened. Well, well, maybe. They beat a 9-3 and Auburn team that did not want to be in the bowl game they were in. Yeah. The next year, they went and got murdered by LSU. Yeah, that was the LSU team that uh, – well, that was after Joe Burrow had started putting it together, and we were starting to see the beginning of the 2019 LSU team. And also, Anthony Milton had already been injured. Kenzie Milton. Or Kenzie Milton had already been injured at that point, right? So, I, I mean, we can go ifs and buts and hypotheticals with UCF all the time. But as a Boise State and a Utah fan, I, I'm always of the mind that if you have a roster that is competitive, give them a shot you, just to see what happens. Because in sports, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about sports, like this Miami Heat run that just happened. I mean, it was unexpected, but it happened. They went to the title <coughs> series, and they almost won. So I, I think college football really just deprives itself of that when it acts as an exclusive rich, rich boys club. But that's how I feel about college football, the playoffs. And it just like – You make a good rankings. point. You make a good point. Yeah. So I, I just – I'm glad that college football, their playoff and the ranking system is going in the right direction. I mean, COVID-19 has told us a lot of things about our society and exposed a lot of weaknesses in our systems. And at this point, 
yeah, college football, this is just demonstrating why you have such a big infrastructure, leadership, and organization problem. You're right, and you were kind of uh, leading into something else I was going to talk about, which is if there was going to be a year for an 18 playoff, this is it. it. And and I've said the way I've said the way we do the 18 playoff before. Here it is again. Your first, your five of your spots in the 18 playoff go to the five Power Five conference champions: Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, ACC, and Big Ten. Those five champions get a bid. Or then you have two at-large bids, which that can be decided by the playoff committee, and then the best of the group of five teams gets a bid. Yeah. And then if you and then so the playoff committee can still feel good about themselves to keep their job, they can be around to be in charge of the seating for the tournament. But that's an eighteen playoff is the way to do it. I know a lot of people are you know, wanting to see some March Madness with football and get up to a 16 or 32 team. You don't need that. That's too much. You're running into too many chances of injury. Too many things are going to happen there. You're going to have to shorten the regular season. I think an 18 playoff is the way to go though. Yeah. It never made sense to me that in a sport where there are five power conferences, only four teams got to compete from the playoffs. And then you run the risk of it's like, they, I don't want to, okay. When they jack off the sec one year and there's three sec teams, in the playoff we've almost had that happen multiple times and people have been upset that it hasn't happened already so i it just doesn't make sense to me to to have it the way it is now no it doesn't and i think it would make a conference championship mean a lot more yeah i don't know then people get upset and it also means that you know strength of schedule kind of goes out the window except for you still have your at-large bid so i don't know I think the, I could do a much better job running the college football playoff is what I'm saying. Well, we'll make you the commissioner one day. Uh, if only. Fingers crossed. The commissioner of all of college football, too. That's another thing. They have a centrality problem. Uh, all right. So uh, college football as it stands right now, we got into a little bit of conversation about that. But uh, the Utes, they're going to start playing here in a couple weeks. Uh, what, what's the scouting report, Joe? Okay. Well, scouting report, I'll start with the offense, looks fairly promising, which – when you're coming off a season where we lose starting quarterback and starting running back, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss. And we lost Vickers. You kind of think about that as, well, we're losing a lot of offensive talent. But we are returning a lot of offensive talent, including transfer quarterback. He's going to be a one-and-done, Jake Bentley, who has not officially been named the starter yet, but has been named a captain, was voted the captain by his teammates. And by all... By everything I've read and seen, he looks to be the starting quarterback, and he looks to be ready to go. So I'm very excited to see what Jake Bentley has in store. And at running back, that's where things get a little bit interesting. Now, as Utah fans, we're used to having one running back who's going to be the workhorse. Of course, the last three years, that's been Zach Moss. This year, uh, we're returning running backs Jordan Wilmore and Devin Brunfield, who you remember from last year. You've also got Micah Bernard and Ty Jordan coming in. All four of those guys have the talent to be a starting running back, and I expect to see something a little bit more similar to what we've seen in the past, back going back, you know, 2008 and earlier, which is a running back by committee, which I'm very excited for because we've got a lot of different types of running back on our roster, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, offensive line, we're returning pretty much all of our starters from last year. 
and wide receiver, returning a lot of talent there as well. Yeah, I am excited to see another year of Keithy's progression. Keithy is one of my favorite players to watch on last year's team. And, I mean, it'll be cool to see Jake Bentley because, I mean, he's kind of kicked around a little bit. He hasn't had the right opportunity for him, and I'm hoping that Utah is the right place for him. Well, Jake Bentley is a very interesting story because he's a guy who actually left high school a year early and enrolled at South Carolina. And he started his first SEC game right at the age of 18. Damn. And in his three years at South Carolina, he put up really solid numbers and did that with not the best talent. I mean, South Carolina is an SEC school, but that does not mean they have SEC talent all around. So I look at Jake Bentley. This is the most talented roster he's had maybe in his life. I'm really, really excited to see what he can do. He's got a huge arm, and he loves the deep ball. So I'm really excited for that because it, it feels like it's been a while since Utah's really had the deep ball. Tyler Huntley did show it last year, which was nice, but I'm ready to see some some bombs from Jake Bentley this year. Yeah, and I mean, if we're going to play with the deep ball, the, the O-line really needs to step up because when Utah's two losses last year, that was the biggest problem was that there was injuries or miscommunications along the O-line that disrupted our offense and destroyed the Utes' chances of winning early in the game. Well, you're right on that. And a lot of that was injuries. A lot of that was wear down because the end of the season. Um, but all those guys are returning. They're experienced. Kyle Whittingham seems very confident in them. And one thing that I've read from Kyle Whittingham that I've never seen before, Kyle Whittingham said this season it's going to be the offense's job to carry the team. Kyle Whittingham is the most defensive-minded huh. head coach in the entire NCAA, and he just said that. That tells me that from what he's seen, he knows how good this offense is going to be. Yeah, I really hope he's right. I mean, we have athletes all across the roster. I mean, Utah's just gotten better and better recruiting classes as we've spent more and more time in the Power 5 conference recruiting game. So I'm excited to see the team. I, I really missed watching them this fall. Uh, and then on defense, we are losing a lot of talent. But we are bringing up a lot of new kids that I think are going to be really good. Right now, they're just inexperienced. So, I say give it a couple games, you fans. Don't be surprised if you see us giving up over 20 points in the first couple games. Uh, I fully expect we'll win those games because I think our offense is going to be that good, as I've said. But don't be surprised if the defense looks a little bit shaky to start the season off. Um, but trust in Kyle. Trust in Kyle. That's all I can say. Trust when in Kyle. When it, when it comes to Utah's defense, that's all I can say. Trust in Kyle. T-I-K. Because he's going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, the turnover on the Utah uh, defense was insane. Like, he fought to Bradley and I, uh, Francis Bernard, Jalen Johnson, and Julian Blackman were all drafted. And Terrell Burgess and Javelin Guidry. This is also true. So, we've had so all much... Four of those, all four of those players from the secondary currently on active NFL rosters, by the way. Yeah, and it, it's something that you don't see very often on a defensive team to, to go have that many players go in the NFL draft. So Kyle's great at finding talent and developing it. So I'm excited to see what the defense has to has to offer as they get that experience. And we have a couple freshmen on the defense, true freshmen that are going to be playing a lot this year, I think. One of them, Clark Phillips III, the highest-rated recruit ever in Utah's history. This is a kid that was a top 50 recruit nationally coming over to play cornerback for us. I expect him to be an immediate starter. And then at defensive end, he stands at six foot seven, two hundred and seventy pounds, and he is eighteen years old. Holy crap! Xavier Carlton, 
I am so excited to see Xavier Carlton play. You don't have a name like Xavier Carlton and be a small person. Xavier Carlton's a large name. Yeah, for big name for a big man. Big 18-year-old man, jeez. Uh, well, I'm excited to see those people. Uh, we'll have the privilege of watching them grow and develop and terrorize opposing offensives. Yeah, Arizona, we're looking for you on November 7th. Let's go. Let's go. All right, Joe, so you want to get into our final college football story of the week? Yes, so our final topic for college football is uh, the University of Texas. And as you would expect with the University of Texas, they have many, let's call them traditions. One of them is at the end of each game, the football players are supposed to be on the field and sing the school song, The Eyes of Texas, with the fans. Now, The Eyes of Texas, as I'm assuming most of you didn't know, because I didn't know until recently, is a song with some controversial origins. It comes from a minstrel show in the mid-20s. Um, and have you want to break down what a minstrel show is for people? Yeah, so, I mean, actually, it, it goes even farther beyond the minstrel show and has its roots with Robert E. Lee, uh, the person who inspired the song. Uh, Robert E. Lee always said the eyes of the South were upon them as they went to college, and then that person who went to the college where Robert E. Lee was the president eventually became the president of Texas, and he retooled the saying to say that the eyes of Texas were always upon the students. And one musical student there who was a tuba player in the Texas or Orchestra, he... You can't trust a damn tuba. You can't. So he writes the eyes of Texas, and he starts playing it in his minstrel shows with his buddies. And like I said, for me to break down a minstrel show is that uh, it's a bunch of white people in blackface depicting African-Americans in you know, various songs and, and stories. And so with that controversial history, um, earlier this year, back in June, uh, during a time when there was many racial protests at the time, uh, the students, the student athletes, had a meeting with the athletic director. During that meeting, one of the things they talked about was the singing of the Eyes of Texas. Now, both parties left that meeting thinking they had come to an agreement on the topic. Flash forward a few months, uh, that's not the case because the players have refused to sing the songs and a lot of members of not only the fan base and the boosters, most importantly, if we're being honest. It is the official alumni song. Yeah. They have been very upset about it, meaning that the school officials are forced to be very upset about it. Now... If, if I'm a player, my job is to play football. My job is to play football, go to school. That's what I'm there to do. If the alumni want to sing their damn song, they can sing their song. But I don't like its origins. I don't like what it represents. I don't like what it's about. I don't like who inspired it. I don't want any part of it. Of course, that's not how many of these boosters feel, though. They feel that if you're at the school... You need to follow the rules, and following the rules includes making sure that you stand out there on the field and you sing the Eyes of Texas as loudly and proudly as you can. Yeah, I am of two minds in this. I mean, it meant one thing when it was written and first performed, and now it's become to mean another thing for thousands of Texas alumni. And to put yourself in the shoes of these athletes who are just coming to the school, 
they don't have the same shared history that the alumni have with the song. And to no one understand where it comes from, it I can totally empathize and understand why players wouldn't want to take part in it. So and how I see it is Texas has a couple of options. I think they have three. They force the players to sing the song. That's one. Uh, they allow for some people to not sing it if they don't want to. There's another one. And the third one, which would take a lot more work, would possibly be uh, to rewrite or to create a new song that could be more inclusive but still have uh, that same value of that, um, that they're representing Texas. And I think the people who sing this song and have had the history with it and culture with it, I mean, we're having this reckoning. It's like, what do you, how, how do you want to represent Texas? Do you want to continue to represent it with a song whose history has its roots in racism and slavery? Or do you want to represent Texas in a new way that is inclusive and puts African-Americans on equal footing with them? So uh, I, I, to me, that's, that's where they're at right now. Well, I think your heart's in the right place. But I don't see any of those three solutions really working out. Because the alumni have shown that they are upset when not every player is singing it. The players have shown that they don't want to sing it. And if you're forcing them to sing it, well, then you might as well be just forcing them right into the transfer portal. Because let's be honest, when you were 18 years old, did you want anybody to tell you what to do? Did you want anybody to tell you you were required to sing a song? No. Kids don't want to be told to do things. And, of course, I'm not trying to say anything beyond that, but you can't force you can't force college kids to be a part of something that they don't want to. That's just not going to happen. They will leave. They'll gladly hop in the transfer portal and go play for a different school. Well, it's kind of like uh, the way I'm seeing it is these kids, they think they're coming to play tech, play at Texas, and then they there's this unwritten rules. It's kind of as if someone had come to BYU not knowing that they live the honor code. And uh, to, uh, to go through that's not, not very fun. It's like you said, the, the, a lot of some people will probably transfer after having their experiences with the boosters that they've had. But uh, hopefully they, they can work out a resolution for all parties. But, I mean, the odds of that happening because people are dumb and, and hateful sometimes, uh, who knows? Yeah, well, unfortunately, and your third option was rewriting the song. If rewriting the song was a real option, I don't think you would see the uproar that we're getting from the boosters. Yeah, they want to hold on to the American exceptionalism and and all that stuff. I mean, I, I am of the mind, personally, that it's okay to hold ourselves to a higher standard and to let go of the past and try to to use the values. Because, I mean, the message of the song is good, and it's like, hey, your eyes of Texas are on you. you got to represent uh, Texas in the right way. But if that, that message was exclusively for white people when it was written, it wasn't meant to be inclusive to all of the residents of Texas at the time. And now, I mean, the University of Texas is diversifying. More African-Americans, more Latinos are coming to the school. It might be time to write a song with a message that is genuinely for everyone and is written at a time when it was meant for everyone and not just for a select group of people. Well, I think you're right uh, as far as that goes. I think the simplest solution for the school 
is players that want to sing it can sing it. Players that don't, they don't have to. Makes sense. You would think. You would think. But if you're a 60-year-old man and you're a millionaire and you've been giving money to the school, I don't know. I guess it doesn't. But then again, alumni boosters never have made a lot of sense, have they? No, they're not the most logical of people. No, they're really not. I mean, they made a lot of money. They give a lot of money to the school, but that always that doesn't make you a, a good person necessarily <laughs> or a rational person at all the time. You can't buy a college football team. You can try, but you can't buy a college football team. <laughs> yeah, you just ask Nick Emery about that. All right, uh, with that last dig at BYU, is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, as far as college football goes, I think I'm good. Uh, do you want to move on to winners of the week and trash can from the NFL? Yeah, so we can do that. Uh, my winner of the week from last week is definitely going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, no one changed uh, the public's opinion of them more than the Buccaneers did. What Their dismantling of the Packers was, honestly, after having watched the Packers for the first four weeks, pretty incredible to watch. I mean, Aaron Jones, he's an incredible athlete, and that Packers offensive line, albeit without David Bakhtiari, uh, they – the, text, the Tampa Bay defensive line was also without Vita Vea, who's an all-pro defensive tackle. So uh, one team stepped up, the other didn't when they were missing their best player, and I'm, I'm going to make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the winner of the week. All right, well, I can definitely agree with that. Um, they were a good performance this week. Uh, for me, the winner of the week, I'm going to go with a little bit of a different outlook on it. I'm going to choose the Pittsburgh Steelers because they just showed us that they are not to be messed with. They showed that they are incredibly good. Uh, I think that they're probably the most underrated team in the league right now. They are 5-0. and They're the most and quiet 5-0 and team. They just manhandled the Browns. The Browns, who had scored over 30 points in three consecutive games, got held to seven by the Steelers this week. Pittsburgh looked positively monstrous. And Ben Roethlisberger didn't really have to do that much. Big Ben only threw for 162 yards and a touchdown in that game. And when they're winning with their offense, not having to do that much, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's classic Steelers football right there. It, it's transitioning more back towards the days of James Harrison and Troy Falamalo than the Killer Bees. And uh, despite that transitioning back to their defense, they now have incredible athletes again. Chase Claypool looks like one of the best young wide receivers in the game, if not the best. And uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is still there, putting up great numbers. And James Washington is pretty nice to have, too. So Steelers, AFC contender, definitely. Yeah. Um, the Steel Curtain's back. It's back. And then loser of the week? Yep, loser of the week for me is definitely Daniel Jones. So not only did he have the viral moment of him – tripping on his way to an easy touchdown after sprinting 88 yards. He also had the game-losing fumble. That was last night. Yeah, I know that was last night, but, I mean, the week in sports is now. So, Daniel Jones is my loser of the week. I mean, that's kind of not fair. Is it cheating? Yeah, to pick Daniel Jones. Well, well, I mean, we could pick him every week if we wanted to. That's what I'm saying. But I think last week was especially bad because he came so close to winning, had the game-losing fumble, and then had that uh, dumbassery trip over himself going into the end zone. Yes. Um, well, 
you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that that's fair to call him loser of the week. My loser of the week, and I know a lot of people are going to be upset to hear me say it. I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars. They fell to 1-5. and five. They lost ugly to the Detroit Lions. It was Detroit's second win of the season. Gardner Minshew, listen, the mustache is dope. The jorts, dope. Bolo tie, all that is dope. I love it. I think it's awesome. I got a mustache. I wear jorts all the time. No problem with that. What I do have a problem with is you being held up as anything other than a mediocre-ass quarterback because that's what he is. Gardner Minshew's not a good quarterback. I'm sorry, guys. It's not going to happen. Well, how I heard it described is when they played the Dolphins last week, it was him realizing that he's eventually going to become Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, that's his destiny in the NFL, is to become a journeyman quarterback that goes and wins, like, three random games a year for some team. <laughs> and I, I just, that I felt that deep in my soul to be true. I mean, a QBR of 58, which is 22nd in the league, and 11 TDs to 5 interceptions through 6 games, it's, it's not going to happen, guys. You can blame it on the talent around him all you want. It's not going to happen for him. It is fun, though. He's a fun dude. He's a cool dude. I like him for his personality. But as far as his performance on the field, trash can. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's big Ryan Fitzpatrick energy. Yes, it is. Now, uh, I do want to say one more thing. Um, Cam Newton and the Patriots did return to the field last week. They lost fairly ugly to the Broncos. I don't think it's fair to put a lot of stock in that game. The Patriots had practiced twice in a two-week span before that game. Because of the COVID. So a lot of people were thinking they were probably the ugliest loss of the week. Not fair to call them that. Also, that Packers loss was especially bad, and uh, the Niners beating the Rams. The Rams looked really bad, too. The Rams looked ugly. The Packers got exposed. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think that says more about the Broncos than it does the Patriots. And, yeah, we love Cam. We will always stand our man, Cam Newton. Indeed. Let's see. Watch of the week? What are you thinking? I'm thinking Steelers-Titans. I'm thinking Steelers-Titans as well. Two 5-0 teams, 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning? Yep. That's the game I've circled. That's my that's my game of the week for sure. Uh, I'm also going to be watching the Arizona Cardinals versus the Seahawks because Kyler Murray is really fun to watch, and that Seahawks defense is gives up a lot of points. I'll say that. Well, let's see if Kyler Murray can actually look better than one 80-yard touchdown pass. Yeah, let's see if he can complete more than nine passes in a game without throwing more than two picks. All right. Well, with that bold prediction, uh, we're going to go ahead and end this week. All Peace, right. y'all. Take it easy. Break.